welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Megan Chappell. Welcome to the podcast, Megan. Thank you. Will you spell your name and then um, say your name so we make sure I'm pronouncing it correctly? Yes, um, it's a little different. So it's M-E-G-G-A-N, last name Chappell, C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L, lots of doubles. Chapel. Yep. Okay. Like a church chapel. We're going to call Everyone you the right name. <laughs> relate to that. Megan, just to introduce, um, well, first let me just update our listeners on the book I wrote. It is out on Amazon the 21st of September. The Kindle version is out now if you want to read it. We've had some reviews on Amazon. I appreciate that. If you're unfamiliar how to find the book on Amazon, just Type in my name, Richard Osler, or Listen, Learn, and Love, and you'll find the book. And the book's goal is just to help us understand our LGBTQ members to bring us together the same human family. By way of introduction, Megan um, Chapel is here with her longtime girlfriend, Janice, and they have been together for about three years. Megan um, grew up LDS and is no longer participating in the church. Um, she has been active in the church for a long time. She's in her early 30s, and um, she is in a graduate program at the University of Utah, um, PA program to become a physician's assistant. And um, some of my listeners that are active LDS said, why would I have somebody on the podcast that's pursuing a same-sex marriage and has stepped away from the church? And that's a fair question. And my answer to that is I'm trying to just bring us together as the same human family and find common ground that brings us together um, as many of, we're all Heavenly Father's children. We all have many of the same goals to move forward in our life, to get an education, to contribute back in society. And so this is what Megan is doing in her life. And, and I just thought it would be helpful for our listeners to hear her story. Every story I think is important and valid and worth listening to. And uh, Megan is respectful of the church. She's not asking for everybody to leave the church. (laughs) Um, But it's just been her individual path, and I'm trying to honor everybody's path and leave any judgment to our Savior and His perfect understanding. Is that okay for an introduction, Megan? That's perfect. Thank you. Uh, Tell us just, let's start, we usually start at the beginning, but just tell us about your program you're in. You're in a PA program at University of Utah. Tell us about that program and what you'd like to do long-term with your career. Yeah, thank you. Um, So the program is going well. I just started in May, so it's the beginning of it. Um, It's a really great program. I'm lucky to get in, really honored to be in. Um, There's about a 3% acceptance rate at this program, so... Very honored. Um, It's been a process getting here about five years or so. Um, So I plan on being a PA in a gastroenterology office. Um, That includes, you know, digestion, the liver function, um, all sorts of things. It's really interesting to me. That's kind of the main focus I had as as a medical assistant for about seven years. So that's kind of where I want to stick. It's been great. Thanks for pursuing that career and what you're doing and the people you've already blessed with the work you've done. It sounds like you've been in the medical world and helping people for a while. Yeah. And this is kind of a long road. I remember on my own mission, somebody talking about the uncomfortable zone 
And he talked about, you know, this long path that people like you take that once you come out, mm-hmm. hopefully there's financial stability and a good lifestyle, but it's right. a pretty long road. It's a long road. And I admire for what you're doing and the lives you're going to be able to bless. And I'm nearly 60, and most of my life is a function of the decisions I made in my 20s and 30s. And just sort of the vision for those tough, more those years that I worked pretty hard with the hope that my later years would have some more time and, mm-hmm. and the ability to help people. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Talk up. So thank you for what you're doing. And maybe someday down the road, I'll walk into an office and have some GI issues and I'll recognize you. I'll take you care of you. Yeah. You'll take care of me. <laughs> and that'll be just fine. Tell our listeners where you grew up. I grew up in a tiny town called Lyman, Utah. Um, not Wyoming, as most people think. And it's down south central, southeastern Utah, um, near Capitol Reef National Park. For those of you who don't know, most people don't know, so don't feel bad. Um, my dad's a dairy farmer, so I grew up on the farm and very active LDS family for generations. Um, I have one older brother, and yeah, it was a great, great childhood. Uh, there's something about growing up on the farm that you learn how to work. Yes, yes, you do. <laughs> my dad grew up um, on the farm, and then he raised us in the city, and he was really worried we'd never learn how to work. <laughs> so I think he made work projects for us, Megan. <laughs> yep, that's what my brother's doing, I think, with his kids. Because <laughs> he's worried they won't know yep. how to. <laughs> I would guess you know how to work, and credit to your parents, and I somehow I wish we all could be raised in that kind of environment. Mm-hmm, that's very good. Share with us... Um, Maybe we can go right to um, when you started, when you came to, and Megan identifies as gay. I don't know if I mentioned that already on the podcast. Just tell us your personal story of of understanding that part about you. Yeah. um, So my story is um, a little bit different in that I realized I was gay pretty late in life. Um, I was just a few weeks shy of my 30th birthday when it hit me. Um, and hit, hit me would be the accurate term. Um, I felt like I hit a brick wall going hundred miles an hour. Um, cause everything kind of, kind of fell apart for me. Um, I, so I was very active in the church growing up all through my life. Um, I served on a relief society presidency just prior to realizing I was gay Um, I had been through the temple, had been, um, just really active, really. I loved, I loved the church, not loved. I still do. Um, and it had been great. Um, it had been the source of a lot of comfort and a lot of understanding and, um, growth and direction in my life. Um, so when I realized I was gay, it all kind of came tumbling down. And I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to hang on to. Um, initially, I was mad at God. I was just really lost. Um, and um, what would you say to somebody that says, this is just a phase, you really are just, you've been, I think before the podcast, you told me you dated a lot of men. Yeah. 
this is just kind of a phase. You've dated a lot of men. It didn't work out. So now you're just kind of might be confused or it's a phase and this will pass. Any, I hope that's not triggering to say that, but no. just share with our listeners just your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think that's a common thing for people to think. I had a lot of people say, well, I'm confused because you dated a lot of men and like she can't be gay. Um, you know, and maybe I even had someone say this was really hurtful, say, well, you couldn't make it work with men. So you're just trying women. Um, there's nothing farther from the truth. Yeah. So there's a lot of misconceptions and I know it's a, just, you know, a lack of understanding. Um, I have also been in that place where I didn't understand gay people and going through it personally, obviously, um, helped me to really understand what this journey is all about. And so, yeah, saying things like, oh, this is a phase, um, or you're confused is very hurtful because it's my truth. You know, it's just, it took me a long time to realize it. And we had talked about this for a minute before the podcast, um, is that I just, it never was an option to even think about being gay, to even think about being in a same-sex relationship, even though I felt so much more strongly for the women in my life, for my best friends, than I ever did about men. You know, I <laughs> would go on dates, like, like you said, I dated a lot of men, um, a lot of blind dates. People were always trying to set me up, which I know it was out of the goodness of their heart. <laughs> it got to the point where it was really hard. Um, but yeah, I just never, ever felt anything with men like I did with my best friends. I would want to go home to chat with them about my date. You know, I didn't want to be on the date. Um, and I was in a couple of long-term relationships with men too. Um, so yeah, I think it was confusing for people to understand, but it was just something that I had never thought was an option. What happened at 30 to kind of help you understand this part about you? Yeah, that's a good question. I, so as I mentioned, I had felt strongly for some best friends in my life. Um, and there was one particular friend, we became really close, she and I, and she kind of started to pull away and was really distant. And it was really, really hard for me. Um, to have her back off like that. And it was, it was like a breakup essentially for me, um, on my end. And, you know, the day I realized that I'm gay, um, I mean, I'd kind of had a few lingering thoughts before this day, but just like my thoughts were, why do I never feel this way about men? I was never sad about a breakup with a man. Um, but I feel so strongly for her. And I felt so strongly for other women in my past. And I was just heartbroken. I was devastated. That's honest. And this is the vulnerable podcast. So a lot of our listeners are kind of trying to reach out through their, wherever they're listening and sort of put their arms around you. Um, talk about why this isn't, you know, it's pretty normal for people to have same-sex friendships. Um I think even more so, I don't know if this is true pre-marriage, maybe once you get married that, I don't know, I don't want to I, I strike that comment, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> it's just fine for people right. to have friendships, you know, 
with people of the same sex that are not romantic friendships. You just share experiences together. Mm-hmm. Um, women do things together. Men do things together. Why mm-hmm. did why did this this seems like a pretty normal thing though, just to have friendships, right? Um, what 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 well, on reflection? What caused you to recognize this was more than just quote a friendship? I don't know the right word. A plutonic is that a word? <laughs> I, I don't think even so. know what that word. I think I know what that word means. Listeners. I study medical, not not English. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> a non romantic. Yeah, you know. that's a good question, and that's something else too that I think is. Um, not really easily understood by people. Um, Cause when I came out, you know, some people would be like, well, I've felt really strongly for my friends before too. And they were, you know, married to a man, straight women said this. And so it was, um, well, first of all, it was, it was at times invalidating to hear that. It was like, I wasn't being believed that I had these feelings for my friend and friends. Um, So that was hard, but I, you know, to answer your question, it's, it was just a deeper feeling, you know, at that time I would describe it as admiration. I just really wanted to be with this friend all the time or like this friend, but I would get that, um, you know, the butterflies in my stomach, my heart racing, the things that I think any, um, heterosexual person might say about someone they were dating. That's good. You're doing a good job answering kind of hard questions. Thanks. Um, When this relationship ended, how did this affect you emotionally? And we often talk about people that have feelings of suicide. Share with us any of that you'd like to share. Yeah. I was very suicidal. Um, Like I said, you know, everything kind of fell apart. Um, This this friend that I was in love with wasn't really talking to me that had to do with my attachment for her. Um, so the, yeah, the, mostly the, the suicide, suicidal feelings came from not knowing where I belonged, especially with the church. Um, and just not feeling like there was any place for me and not knowing like how to even go forward because, being in a same sex relationship wasn't an option in my mind, especially at that point either. You know, I was, I had never opened my mind to that thought and it just wasn't an option. And I just, I knew I couldn't be alone forever. Um, but that's what I felt like I had to do. Talk about how long this period of feeling suicidal lasted and what caused you to pull out of it. You know, I was in this really dark place for, a period of several months. Um, but I, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to live in that space. So I, I found some resources, you know, I, I reached out to people. I talked this through, um, with people that I felt safe talking about it with. And, um, one place in particular, I went to Encircle when it very first opened in Provo. Um, It was just up the street from where I lived at the time. And so I went to Encircle just to the um, the lesbian group, the friendship circle, as they call it. And I connected with people right away that were lifesavers for me. And I went to that group every week. It's like group therapy. 
Um, and I ended up, I ended up, um, visiting with one of the facilitators on my own personally. And so just meeting with her and developing these connections was what got me through it within a couple of, well, several months. Talk about when I love that you connected within circle. Um, I love that anybody that is suicidal connects with any person or organization that gets them unsuicidal. Mm -hmm. If, if there seems to be a common human goal is to keep other humans alive. (laughs) For sure. It's hard for me to believe that uh, we, I hope we all agree on that. (laughs) And so here you've connected with Encircle and you use some vocabulary that I was going to come back to, but I forgot, but what did they do to just talk to what happened there that just caused you to feel hope? Yeah. So I, I was really nervous to go. Um, I walked in and I, I wasn't, I almost turned around. I was like, I can't do this. I can't be this open. Um, you know, even just being there, like I knew it was a resource for LGBTQ people and I wasn't sure how I identified or, you know, what this meant for me. So it was scary. It was scary going the first time. Um, but immediately when I walked in, I saw someone who I had seen on the Voices of Hope video. And it was like a light went off and just like this warm, comfortable feeling. And I just knew I was in the right place. It's great. I read this quote quite a bit on the podcast. It's the best quote for someone like me to understand why someone that's LGBTQ might be suicidal. It's from Brene Brown. Brene Brown has said that not belonging or physiological isolation is the most terrifying and destructive feeling a person can experience. It's not the same as being alone. It's a feeling that one is locked out of the possibility of human connection and being powerless to change the situation. In the extreme, psychological isolation can lead to a sense of hopelessness and desperation. People will do almost anything to escape the combination of condemned isolation and powerlessness. How to t- share with our listeners how that resonates with you or doesn't? That's um, that's really powerful. That's exactly how I felt in in a much more um, elegantly spoken way, of course, by Brene Brown. Um, yeah, I felt it, and it wasn't just being alone, like like that mentioned. It was that feeling of isolation and like utterly alone. Um, that just caused a lot of despair. There was a lot of despair at that time for me. Um, and a lot of shame, you know, I think a lot of gay people, LGBTQ people in the church experience shame, even just for realizing that's part of who they are. Cause I think that's a narrative that's told to us in the church, um, which at times probably isn't even meant to be hurtful. Um, but it is, um, even subconsciously. I'm glad you are alive, Megan. And um, I'm just glad you had the courage to walk through that door and circle. And it doesn't sound what like what they did there was very complicated. They just helped you feel like you belong. Yeah. And it just helped to have community of other people that are sort of walking the same road. Exactly. And so I assume you just felt less hopelessness and just more vision for I'm going to be okay. And there's people that have walked this road before me who are okay. And I'm not alone. And 
Yeah, I think that was the biggest thing, you know, being in that group every week, just hearing other people's stories about how they've made it through this this hard part, the part where you feel like you want to die and like you don't have a place to go. There was a place for me at Encircle with those people. Talk about labels. Why do you use the label gay? For me, it's just, well, it's one syllable. <laughs> I like that. Um, <laughs> I just, I'm just realizing lesbian is three. Yep. I have to clap, clap the way we did in second grade, <laughs> learn syllables. I yep. I like shorter words. Um, and it's just, it just seems more. And I just, as I think our listeners know, and I know Megan feels the same way, I think everybody just needs, everybody needs permission to choose their label for themselves. Yeah. And it's not my job to dictate labels for other people. Talk about if once you identify as gay and you sort of are coming to terms you're gay, did talk to us the paths you were considering. Were you still considering marrying a man? Were you considering staying sober in the church? Were you considering dating women? Or did just keep sharing your story as now this pivot has occurred in your life and you're aware of your sexual orientation? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, initially, I I said this to myself. I never told anybody this, but I, I was like, okay, I'm bisexual. You know, it seemed like a softer blow to my, to my heart um, to be like, okay, I could still be with a man. I, um, you know, I've felt some kind of connection with a man before, um, although it was weak, but I was like, you know, I could maybe make this work. I thought how, um, I thought, you know, maybe I could, maybe I could find a man to marry, but it kind of, you know, it was never like a, like a full thought in my head, like I'm going to go date women. It just was, it was the direction I felt in my heart that I knew I was going to go. Um, but it was never something I like articulated and it just kind of, it came, it came naturally once, you know, once the opportunity prevent presented itself. Um, but yeah, it took a lot of, it took a lot of, um, therapy, honestly, and just a lot of self-reflection and prayer for me to come to a place where I felt good about moving forward with a same-sex relationship. Talk about the church. This is a church you've loved. You're 30 years old. You've given decades of service. You've been in leadership callings. You've paid tithing. You've got a community that you feel a part of. Just talk to us about the church, how you, how you feel about the church. Yeah. Um, it's hard right now. I still, I feel anger towards the church. I, and some bitterness and I don't want to feel that way. Um, and I really try, you know, I'm working through that, um, personally and it's hard, you know, I, um, like you said, you know, growing up in the church, dedicating a lot of years to it and a lot of time and money. Um, it was something that, that I loved and that I gave everything to. Um, and it was my community, you know, but I feel, I don't feel, 
I don't feel that community there anymore. I don't feel the safety that I felt before. Um, and that's hard. You know, I want to, but it's just, it's not a healthy place mentally for me to be. Um, and I really hope that people understand that it, it is hard to articulate. Um, but genuinely in my heart, that's, that's how I feel. And I know that I feel better not going to church. Um, it's very triggering. Um, you know, it's hard being told like, I can't do this or that. Um, when I'm the same person, you know, I'm, I'm still me. I still have a great and if even better relationship with God and with my savior. Um, and I'm more me, you know, I'm more authentically me and it's, you know, being gay is something that I've learned um, is a beautiful part of who I am. And it's, I wouldn't trade that for anything. Thanks for being honest. And, you know, as I meet people, I've certainly, um, some that we don't do podcasts with, have met people that are pretty angry at the church. And I've learned as a committed Latter-day Saint, believing member of the church, that it's okay for me to honor their pain. Pain is usually the core of anger, and I've learned that it doesn't. it's really part of my baptism covenants to honor pain. It's part of mourning, bearing, and comfort, and anger is a logical secondary emotion to pain. And um, I've met some really people with some really deep anger, and I've, and I validate that anger. If for me, it doesn't create increase the wedge between them and the church that's already there for me to honor their pain and their anger. I It may decrease the wedge, but I don't honor their anger as a manipulative tool to decrease the wedge or somehow bring them back to the church. For me, it's just what I, I think I'm supposed to do as a Latter-day Saint and as a follower of Jesus Christ is to validate people's pain and anger. And I don't have a false dichotomy. I think it's a false dichotomy that I'm selling out the church that I believe in if I honor someone else's pain. I, For me, I can do both. Um, and so I just, you know, we could probably spend a podcast or two on the pain and anger you feel. And you're being kind of kind and sensitive to just the format and the listeners. But I just, I, I recognize, you know, that you're locked out of the possibilities that our straight members are not locked out of. And I recognize the irony that me, a straight member, is inviting, which I do, because it's the teachings of our church, all my LGBTQ friends to follow church teachings. And if you're gay, that means unless you feel like your path is a mixed orientation marriage, you or it's either be alone for the rest of your life or find a partner. And I've I've just honored people's individual choices. It's part of mortality. So I honor your agency and I am just going to look at you as just one of Heavenly Father's wonderful daughters doing the very best she can. And I'm not going to judge you. I'm in a, and I'm hopefully have some empathy for how difficult your road is and you face impossible choices I never faced. And I recognize in my dating life in the 20s, 
in, not in the twenties, like a hundred <laughs> years ago, but when I was 20, <laughs> that I was all the hope in my life, you know, that motivated me in school and work and getting up early and was for this dream that's sort of become a reality. We've got six kids, four married. Um, so I'm living this dream that I dreamt about in my twenties and have a wonderful wife and, and, but all that motivation, you know, nothing was locked out for me. And so I just think you're doing the very best you can facing impossible choices. Thank you. I, I really appreciate you saying that. And it's true, you know, and that's one reason why I feel so hurt, um, which brings the anger with the church is because I am walked out. You know, there there are things that that aren't a possibility for me just because of a huge part of who I am. And, um, you know, I didn't choose this. I think that's something that the church now honors and recognizes, which is great. Um, but I don't think that God has a plan to lock me out. You know, that's why it's frustrating with the church. Um, because I really believe that there is a place for me and for all all LGBTQ people with God somewhere. We just don't know what it looks like, but that's okay. You know, I'm okay with that. That's where I've come to have peace. Do you still believe in God? I do. Share with our listeners, because some lose belief in God when they, when they, you know, step away from the church. Yeah. Um, so I had gained a really strong testimony of God and of the Savior. Um, I mean, throughout my life, but, you know, mainly in a couple of years before I realized I was gay, I just, you know, working through personal things in my life, um, I just developed a really close relationship with, with God and my Savior, and there is nothing that could make me deny that. Um, and I'll share an experience. Um, I mentioned when I first realized I was gay, I was really angry with God, but um, it was really, really amazing. Um, the first time I prayed about it, I had, I had put it off for, I don't know, a while um, cause I was angry and I was just trying to figure things out on my own. <clears throat> um, but the moment, like I wasn't even kneeling down. I, <laughs> I was in my car driving and the moment I, I reached out in my heart to God and I said, I have something I need to tell you. I just felt this overwhelming love. And he already knew and he still loved me and he wanted me to be okay. He wanted me to be happy. And if that meant, you know, stepping away from the church that I love, um, that it was okay. And that was a really powerful experience for me. Thanks for sharing that. I love our doctrine about personal revelation and, um, I love the power of the atonement to heal. And I, this book that I've written, one of the chapters is The Role of the Atonement. Some really wonderful stories that LGBTQ people share. Chapter 10 is when a family member leaves the church, what do we do? And 
um, I've just tried to develop some, you know, principles that keep us together when that happens. Um, why don't you think you lost, you were angry at God. That seems pretty logical. Yeah. Um, because you don't really want to be gay. I've never really met anybody that wants to be LGBTQ. <laughs> um, because it's just a harder road. But I've met people that, like you, I love what you say, not initially. I think you're, yeah. that actually look at this part about them and they're not, they don't have any shame about it. They believe they're created as intended. Yeah. So talk about just how you got through any anger at God and came to, and you've kind of said this already, Megan, just came to accept this part of you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, initially was that experience I just shared about feeling the acceptance and love from God still, even though I knew I was gay. Um, but yeah, just continuing, you know, like I said, I had formed a really good relationship with, with my heavenly father and with the savior and, continuing to talk to talk to him regularly about how how I was feeling and um you know the choices I was making to kind of rebuild my my life and my belief system you know I definitely went through and I still am um I'm going through a faith I, I think it was a faith crisis initially. Now it's more of a um, faith transition in what I believe. But, you know, my belief of God and of the Savior um, has never changed. And I know that he's there for me no matter what. I know he's there for all of all of us. Um, and I think throughout my journey, um, I've learned to not only trust in God, which is something I learned to do, before I realized I was gay, but also learned to trust in my own heart and in my own soul and what feels right to me. Um, and God has, without question, every time I've done something that feels right to me, including being in a same-sex relationship, he's not only approved, but has been really glad and joyful with me. Um, I love... Is it okay if I read a little bit from this book? Yeah. I don't want to turn the story to my book. I want it to be on you. But Tom Christofferson's book that we may be one, Tom writes how his parents taught their children and grandchildren to respond to Tom and his partner with this statement on love. Quote, the only thing we can be really perfect at is loving each other. The most important lesson your children will learn from how our family treats their Uncle Tom is nothing they can do nothing they can do will ever take them out of the circle of our family's love. Elder Uchtdorf teaches, quote, because love is the great commandment, it ought to be at the center of all and everything we do in our family, in our church callings, in our livelihood. Love is the healing bond that repairs rifts in personal and family relationship. It is the bond that unites families, community, and nations. Love is the power that initiates friendship, tolerance, Civility and respect is the source that overcomes divisiveness and hate. Love is the fire that warms our lives with unparalleled joy and divine hope. Love should be our walk and our talk. So I just, I look at the doctrine of love here, and I look at our world that's so divisive right now. We're in the middle of a political election, 
and we're sort of throwing bombs at each side. And I just think, you know, I, I'm so grateful you're on the podcast just talking about how to keep relationships together and keep family circle together and keep you alive. And I'm, I'm just, I'm glad you have a partner. You know, I just, I've learned to be happy for people that choose a path that's not the path I would normally invite you or the path that I, of the church that I sustain and support, but I can do that and just be happy for you because you're self-determining the best path for you. I don't have personal revelation for you, and I honor the personal revelation you're receiving about the path that you feel is best for you. And I'm not just going to kind of be over your shoulder waiting for your path to blow up so I can say, I told you so. Right. <laughs> I'm actually going to be hopeful your path works out because it means so much to you to find a partner, which you found, and to be in a committed same-sex relationship. And I recognize that for you, this is what you deeply desire and want. And so I, I support you in that desire. And I want it to be successful. I want every marriage, if you end up marrying, I want every marriage to be successful. If two people are going to kneel across the altar and commit to each other, then I want all types of marriages to be successful because I believe our society is better off with strong marriages and people that are deeply committed to another partner. Are you okay with all that? Yeah, I love that. And thank you for saying that. I think, you know, even though there are differences between the way that I feel about the church and about, um, I guess, you know, what, what the future would look like for me versus somebody, somebody in the church, um, or somebody who wants me to be in the church, you know, I, I just, it makes me so relieved and it makes me just, just glad to hear, um, that you want my happiness, you know, no matter what that looks like for me. And I think that's, that's something that I'm speaking for every LGBTQ person right now, but for me, especially, you know, that's just, that's what, that's all I want. That's all that I need from people in the church. You know, I, I already know what the church teaches. I know what the doctrine is. I don't need to be preached to. Right. And I think that's the way a lot of people feel. Um, but just having that love from, from people in the church means a lot, you know, um, and that's all, that's all I'm asking for. And that's, it's a huge relief to feel that from people in the church. Elder Ballard at BYU, and this is just reading from the book again. So anybody who wants to find these quotes are in the book. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I'm pitching books. <laughs> Elder Ballard teaches, quote, please don't preach to them. Your family member or friend already knows the church teachings. They don't need another lecture. What they all need what they need, what we all need is love and understanding, not judging, end quote. So, yeah, you and Elder Ballard are sharing the same things about how to navigate this space. Um, my brother also, David, has adult children that have left the church or don't fully participate in the church, and he published an article in LDS Living, and these are the six things that he suggested for LDS parents that have children that have stepped away. Number one, don't preach or lecture. Number two, listen to, listen to, understand, and validate. Number three, use words that affirm. Don't use labels like apostate. 
Number four, accept and love them fully. Number five, remember agency and the love of our heavenly parents. Number six, take care of yourself. So I just, you know, I just, I'm concerned about the tension between people in the church and people that have left the church. There's more tension there than people in the church and people that have never aware of the church or join the church. And so there's this there's this tension and this fear. And I just think we can go to 40,000 foot level and see us all as the same spirit children that lived in the pre-earth life together that chose the same plan. And then I think we can just kind of say, okay. And I recognize if I'm kinder to people that leave the church, perhaps you won't be as angry. Exactly. <laughs> and perhaps you won't be as bitter and want other people to leave the church or the church to fail. And you'll be more likely to, to, be supportive of people that want to stay in the church, which you already are. And so I, I recognize that the way we treat people that step away often does impact a little bit how they feel because it, we potentially can increase the anger and the pain. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think I wanted to speak to that too. Um, that, you know, there hasn't been anything, um, directed at me that's been really hurtful from members of the church. Um, so, but like from my own experience being in the church, I mean, I was never, you know, mean to people that left the church either, but it's definitely something that is interesting being in the position that I am now. <clears throat> it really does at times feel like, like I am othered. I'm using quotes there, othered. It's like us versus them, like being in the church versus out of the church. Um, it's like a very, a very, um, fine line. And, you know, and I think part of it, part of why it's so hard for me too, is just kind of, um, like knowing, knowing that it is hard, um, or let me back up knowing that, you know, the way people, that tension and fear between members of the church and those that leave, I mean, I feel that it doesn't have to be spoken, you know, um, and so, like I said, it's really relieving to just feel that love from you. And I think, yeah, if if everyone did that on so, at some level, on some degree, that it would ease that tension for sure, you know, because um, nobody likes feeling othered <laughs> or like they're they're on the sidelines. And yeah, all we want, all I want, is to feel loved. Um, yeah. It's good. Thanks. Talk about, and I could read some more quotes, but I don't want to just spend the whole podcast <laughs> reading from my book. <laughs> I enjoy it. Um, all right. Well, maybe I'll read one more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Elder Uchtdorf talks about just wanting to increase just the same thing you're talking about, Megan, understanding for those to step away. And this is his quote. One might ask if the gospel is so wonderful, why would anybody leave? Sometimes we assume it's because they have been offended or lazy or sinful. Actually, it's not that simple. In fact, there is not just one reason that applies to the variety of situations. Some of our dear members struggle for years with the question whether they should separate themselves from the church. In this church that honors personal agency so strongly, it was restored by a young man who asked questions and sought answers. We respect those who honestly search for truth it may break our hearts when their journey takes them away from the church we love 
and the truth we have found, but we honor their right to worship Almighty God according to the dictates of their own conscience, just as we came that privilege for ourselves. So that is, of course, one of the leaders of our church, and I just love that he didn't sell out our doctrine to sort of create space for people except the way. In fact, I think he owns our doctrine mm-hmm. in talking like that because that is the doctrine of loving heavenly parents and the doctrine of love that finds common ground in differences. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I, I want to say to that too, um, my my parents are still really strong in the church and they didn't, you know, I never felt like they needed to choose between me or the church. Um, you know, this journey that I'm on is mine and mine alone. And, um, you know, they still are very active in the church and I respect that. And they respect where I'm at. And, um, it's great. You know, it's, it comes down to what you've been talking about is just loving, just loving each other and, and knowing that we're doing the best we can. What are some of the things your parents, either your mom or dad have done that have been helpful for you? Um, and there's probably some things that haven't been helpful. But <laughs> it's I'll, true. I, as it's, a parent, have done lots of those things, but talk right. about some things that have been helpful. It's a hard job as a parent, um, I can imagine. So, you know, the main thing for me is just the fact that they're willing to learn. They're like reaching out and finding resources on their own. Um, and then coming with to me with like, hey, listen to this podcast. You know, it's so good. Um <clears throat> They both attended North Star Conference last year, which cool. was really great. Yeah, I loved that they did that. Um, yeah, they're just, they're very, um, they're willing to learn. You know, they're still very active in the church, which is great, and I respect that. Um, but they still love me and are very accepting towards me and my partner, um, which, like I said before, is more than I could ever ask for, Just, just that love and acceptance um, and honoring my path. I like that you said your parents recognize enough to choose between the church and loving their child. Sometimes we create these false dichotomies in our mind, and I love that they've recognized they don't need to do that. Yeah, I think it's been really good. And, you know, like you said, and I'm sure there's things that have been hard. um, and, And, yeah, things weren't always this good you know, with me coming out and, and kind of leaving the church, um, or activity in the church. Um, but you know, I just really, I realized, and I tried to be sensitive to the fact that it's a process for them too. They needed to learn how to have a kid that's gay. You know, that was never something they planned for or wanted. And so when there were hard times, you know, I knew that it was a transition for them too, and the learning, learning experience. It's a lot of empathy and grace. Talk about what it's like to date a woman. Is it hard to find somebody to date? Or <laughs> I got really lucky. Um, I met Janice, my partner, at Encircle. Um, she was living in Provo at the time. She's from L.A., so it was just crazy good timing, um, which is another thing that, you know, I think I've – something that has always – has always, um, strengthened my belief in God is just the way he works, you know, his timing in my life. And I realized I was gay. Um, I went to in circle 
about a month later or two months later. And I met Janice there three months after that. Um, I would have never gone to Encircle if I hadn't known I was gay, would have never met her. Um, and it's been, it's been wonderful. It was never, um, a difficult thing for me to date, to start dating her. Um, it always felt like this is exactly what I should be doing. That's great. Do you two hope to have a future together? Definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, right now, like we've been together for almost three years. Um, definitely want to get married down the road, but no, no set plans for that at this time. But yeah, I, we talk about our long-term future all the time and it's, it's wonderful. It's great. And I've, I've learned just to ask the same questions to gay couples that I do to straight couples listeners. I just feel like I mean, three years ago, I couldn't have done that, but I've just felt for me that's just a part of of humanity and a part of my desire to be kind and interested in other people. So if if I had a straight couple in my home that were dating, I would ask them about their plans for the future. I probably wouldn't make it feel awkward, like, are you going to get married and <laughs> sort of force right. that because it may be a private thing. But I just would treat anybody in a long-term committed relationship and just ask the same questions, you know? And so I just think that's a principle of respect. So I have hope that makes me happy that you found a partner. And when I, you know, I can just see the chemistry between you and the interaction and the love and the companionship and you're sharing your life together. And I've sort of said this in other podcasts, but there's lots of ways to live life off, off the covenant path. We don't really talk about it that way, but, and some are just much more responsible than others. And so here, it seems like you're doing the very best job you can, given the situation that you find yourself in. And you've kept your belief in God, the power of the atonement. I believe Heavenly Father, we're all worthy of Heavenly Father's love. We don't have to qualify for that. That to me is a core, a core tenant of my belief, and I believe the church's belief is we're all worthy of God's love by our divine nature. We don't need to earn that. And you've recognized that. And then I think, oh, I lost my trend of thought, but this is, you know, and you're there's you could uh, you know, I mean, you could do the club scene. There's there's not really an owner's manual roadmap for how to do the road you're walking. So I think you're doing it the very best, most responsible way. And, and a lot of parents, when they pragmatically know this is the direction they keep, their child is going, they're full of fear because it's really scary. And they worry about their child being taken advantage of or turning the self-numbing activity to numb the pain and the anger and to deal with the complexity of their situation. And so they pray in a pragmatic perspective that their child will find a responsible partner that will bring right. out the best in them. Right. Yeah. You know, that's something that within the church, it's a prescribed path. You know, you pretty much know what you should do um, and what's expected of you too, at times, like along the way through life and being on this path, there's not that. And, you know, but yeah, um, I think that's something that every parent would worry about if their kid leaves. Um, but I think it's been good, good with me and my parents over time, just them seeing that, um, 
you know, like, I mean, for me, I always, I always, like, I'm, I hold on to the things I learned in the church, you know, it's, um, it's not like I wanted to leave. It's just painful. It's really painful to be there. Um, so yeah, I never wanted to do anything crazy. You know, I just needed to be able to live my life how I felt was best for me. And I think that's one thing that, you know, like I mentioned before, I've learned to listen to my own soul. And because there's not a prescribed path for where I'm at, it's been really, really um, empowering for me to feel like I'm choosing more. And it's, um, it's been really healthy for me. Do you wish the church would accept same-sex couples? I do. Yeah, I think that would ease a lot of pain um, and a lot of questions that I have. Like, why why don't they, you know? I Like I said before, I'm still me. I live a good life, and, you know, I think that's the same for a lot of people that might leave the church. Must answer, and I recognize we're losing really good people. Um, that are step step away. They're in this double bind. Bryce Cook talked about the double bind of his two gay sons. They wanted a life partner, and they really believed in the church. Mm-hmm. And there was no way to navigate this double bind. Yeah, it's a and it's suicide a is one way to navigate it. But we all agree right. that's a, not the ideal. That's horrible and just tragic. Yeah, so I think it's okay for listeners to. I mean, this is the way I. I think it's okay for members of the church to hope something changes. Um, for me, I have hoped some things change, but I continue to sustain our leaders and our current doctrine. That's just the way I navigate it. But I don't think we want to, you know, I just think if people feel something, they wish some progress would be made or there was a way just to help same-sex couples feel like they're more welcome. I think it's fine that we hope that. I hope that. I don't know how that looks. And the line I don't cross is I don't get prescriptive to the leaders about this is what you ought to do and or claim to know Heavenly Father's will. I still leave it with them, but I have hope that a couple like you, we would find a way for you to participate in the church in a greater way than we do now. Because I recognize we're worse off. We've without your contributions to the body of Christ. Talk about what you'd love people in the church to know. Um, I think kind of like I've been saying, you know, I, I wish there was more of a space for us. And there are a lot of people in the church that do make space. You know, I'm definitely not discounting those people. Um, and I want to recognize that. You know, I've met a lot of great people in the church that, and people in my family that are accepting and that do have a a place for us. Um, specifically, when when we lived in Long Beach, um, we were part of a um, the Long Beach steak. You know about them. <laughs> That's a great steak. Yes, yes, it is. Um, so yeah, I met a lot of people there that are just so welcoming and so. Um, open to us and just want us there. And so that's huge, you know, and it's hard that it's, that you don't know for sure if you can find that everywhere, but that's kind of the way it is. It's kind of what, we, what some people refer to as 
bishop or ward roulette um because there's different there's different perspectives and you know we all have that but um yeah just just want everyone to know that that love is the answer and that you know also if there's anybody that feels um this same kind of faith crisis or faith transition in their life with the church that, you know, if I can help anybody, um, that I'm here and that I would love to, to be that support for somebody. Cause I've had that support in my life and that I'm so grateful for it, you know? So just to know that you're not alone, um, that all of us are just trying to to make our way in life and, and get back to God. Pretty powerful. It's a great spirit about you, Megan, just of core goodness. Thank you. Other things you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I think there's one thing that I, that I wanted to share. Um, it was, you know, in the beginning of realizing that I was gay, um, as I mentioned, it was full of, full of shame and fear and despair. Um, but there was a moment when I, I just felt super relieved. I felt relief. I felt light. And it was when I finally like said out loud to myself, I'm gay. And it was a, it was wonderful. It was, it was like I realized this part of me that, you know, had been part of me all along. Um, but it was me and I didn't feel shame about it anymore. Um, it was just a moment full of light. And I know that, you know, it's not a bad thing to be gay. And I've embraced that. And I'm so grateful for the help that I've had to get to where I'm at. Um, yeah, I've never been never been happier or in a better place in my life. That's a great thing to be able to say. And yeah, I wish you, our listeners could see your smile. That's a genuine statement. There's no question that what you just said is true. So that makes me happy. Um, that's probably a good place to end. Um, I was just kind of scanning chapter six of this book, just statements of LGBTQ members that have said about how the atonement of Jesus Christ has helped them, and Megan's given us some insight. But I'll just close with one that's in the book, um, A Gay Man. I always share Alma 33, 20, 33, 23, and then say, I used to think the atonement of Jesus Christ was going to make me straight, but instead it healed my broken heart. And I just believe that once I love the way you there's no shame in your orientation to me that puts us all on the same moral footing so a straight person generally doesn't look in the mirror and think this part of me I should feel shame about um and once you get to that point I think it's more likely to connect with heavenly father heavenly parents and maybe the connecting with heavenly parents gets you there it's sort of the chicken egg I'm not sure which comes first but the role of the atonement is real it's not to change orientation, but it's to sort of heal your broken heart and take. I think part of that is, I love this idea that Christ descended below all things, and 
And to me, that teaches me that he's experienced everything that everybody on the on the in the human family will experience, even if there's not a scriptural reference in the New Testament for that specific experience. Yeah. So for all of us, our listeners, and it's, you know, we need to own that and, and let the Savior heal us for whatever's going on in our lives. We sort of talk about the role of the atonement to heal us from sin as young people growing up in the church. And then there's all this other pain that comes into our lives. It's often not our fault and outside of our control. Mm-hmm. And I think our woundedness is a word I really like because I think we're all wounded. Mm-hmm. I think it's part of mortality. And I think as people, I've just recognized my own woundedness at times, the things that have happened in my life. And I, I just think that's part of mortality and the atonement of Jesus Christ to heal and give us hope. And I just love what you've done in your life and where you are and an example for other LGBTQ people. So Megan, and if Megan's family listening, you know, before we went live, she had some awfully kind things to say about her family. She shared more of that on the podcast. You're doing a great job. I love the simple things that Megan's parents are doing is just willing to learn um, go to North Star, be willing to listen to some podcasts. To me, that just sends a message that I'm open to learning. I've talked with a young man the last couple of weeks whose parents won't do any of that, and it just increases his shame about who he is if his parents aren't willing to learn anything about this. It's like they're embarrassed about it. They want it to go away. They don't want to deal with it, or they make it all about them and how awful this is for them. But hopefully a parent's role is to support our kids like your parents are doing and willing to learn and just not be totally sure about everything. I think that sends a beautiful message um, to children. And even if they the road is a little bumpy, I don't think most LGBTQ youth expect their parents to be perfect, but if they're willing to learn and just kind of walk this road with them, often that's all they really need. Yeah, absolutely. So Megan and Janice, who's here with us, um, and all our listeners, thank you for joining us on another episode. This is your host, Richard Osler, who signs off differently every podcast. If I listen to other podcasts, I wonder if they all sign off the same way, but I don't listen to any podcasts. So I just end these, and thank you um, for listening. Mm-hmm.